to work. Waiting for Mike Joe to reconnect. Reconnect, Mike. There you go. <laughs> I'm in the middle. All right, guys. So this is another episode of Drinks and Dogs. So cheers to um, my guys here. Salancha. KD. Cheers, yeah. guys. Um, today we have Dave from Canine Karma. Uh, very great trainer. We also have KD Matthews, another great yeah. trainer. So we are on today. We're basically going to have some fun. Um, and for everyone who is tuning in live, or let's say, let's wait, if we get on a little bit, tuning in live, uh, we're no longer doing the Instagram Q&A. We're going to have you guys tune in and actually do the Q&A on the screen. There should be a little question box on the side. Um, so towards the end of, you know, Drinks and Dogs, we'll be talking, we'll be, well, once we stop talking to each other, we'll be trying to answer questions as much as possible. Um, but for the most part, we're going to be having our little chat here. Uh, so how's everything going with you guys this week? Woo, busy, 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 busy. Like we were just talking about the green room, you know, getting reacquainted with everything that all of our clients and students are going through as I got a puppy. Um, if you guys follow me on Instagram. You've seen I've been sharing little snippets there. And um, I don't care how long you've been training a dog. Listen to a puppy scream in a crate. Like there's no skill set, craft or science that makes you immune to what that experience is. And I, I, I really think it's good for anyone helping people with dogs to do that as often as possible. So you can truly empathize with what your your clients are going through. Um, but other than that, uh, like we talked about, big big news tomorrow, uh, July 1st, I open enrollment to my signature program, the Canine Blueprint. So nice. anybody who's truly interested in, a, in a, an experience unlike any other and really learning how to communicate with your dog and understanding your dog and building that relationship, uh, just hit me up on Instagram and I can get you the application. Tomorrow, we start keeping calls for interviews. So things are about to get crazy. Awesome, man. Awesome. What about you, Dave? How's everything going over there? Uh, it's good. Just still ridiculously busy. I never thought that you could be quarantined and stuck at home and working more than before. Right. Especially for <laughs> someone who already works seven days a week. You know, so I went from driving from house to house to house to just sitting at my computer lesson from, you know, to lesson to lesson to lesson to lesson. And now that I'm, I'm supposed to be opening up in-homes again in like a week, week and a half, um, now I got to figure out how to balance that because I'm not getting any less online lessons and getting flooded with in-home requests. Cause now that like, you know, everything's opening up, everybody's been stuck at home with their dogs, allowing terrible behaviors, creating problems, or just, you know, <laughs> dealing with problems, noticing problems. And now they're all like, Oh fuck, we got to train our dog. You know, <laughs> and everybody wants help, like all at the same time. And uh, like, I I'm, I'm swamped beyond belief. It's crazy. Yeah. That's the, actually, that's one of like the funnier, like, so I, you said the same statement, like that I was like talking about is that who knew that being a dog trainer during COVID or during anything like that would actually, if you're active online and you're pushing like that, you get busier. Like we've been talking about, um, well, Erin, like is my girlfriend, the manager, um, Davey met her kitty, uh, you'll meet her eventually, but you know, she runs like a lot of our, you know, our basic day-to-day -day stuff. And it's, it's insane to see, like when we first felt like when we first had to go into a uh, shelter in place, you know, we, the amount of people we got in from online. So like our online schedule got busy. So that became a 10 hour day when we were already running 16 hour days with in person stuff seven days a week and now trying to combine both of those 
it's it's now it's like becoming one of those like it's it's almost like Tetris. It's like figuring out how the fuck do <laughs> do we fit everything in the same day yeah. at the same time? Like that's a big problem that we've been running into over years, especially now with um, you know I have my daughter uh, five days a week, which is I'm you know grateful and blessed for. But it's just it's now it's like okay cool so uh, where's the rest of the hours of the day and um, how does this even work out possibly and I know Katie you shut down your you shut down your program for what two three months two uh, two and a half months um, the, it was it was beyond full like I was taking people in and it, it, <laughs> it, my work hours my personal life just melted away. Cause I didn't want to say no. And then I finally had to say no and stop and close enrollment. And now, I mean, I got several hundred people on the waiting list right now waiting for their emails tomorrow on how they can enter the program. And, and, and you know, and I, I want to ask both of you a question. Uh, Mike, we've talked about it and, and Dave, well, for everyone watching, Dave and I have never spoke before. So I'm like frothing at the mouth at the opportunity to, to speak with another trainer. Um, let me ask you guys, like I've been doing online training for a while. So when COVID hit, like there was no learning curve. If any, I mean, I actually had a couple of trainers that I was working with that wanted me to consult with them on how to do online training. With that being said, what are your guys' thoughts on it? I mean, what 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 did you what have you liked about this different type of way to interact with a dog owner? What do you dislike? Strengths, weaknesses? Like, what are your thoughts, David? Um, honestly, I, I was doing it for months before all this stuff hit, but I actually only started doing it. I was like almost peer pressured on social media to like start doing online lessons for a long time. Like I don't like, I, I even, I even had accounts like post on their stories and be like, everyone harass. And I finally just like, I started doing it because I really didn't want to, I knew it would be effective. But I didn't. I, I didn't know that the the hidden gem of doing this is you only get dedicated people, and it's fucking crazy. Oh. Like you literally only get the best clients you could ever have. I don't even want to go back to in homes because the the and I do obviously. I didn't. I didn't go into this career field to sit in front of a fucking computer, but like. I've had the best clients of my career in the last few months. Like, like I have clients who like, when I end a lesson, I'm like, I don't even want to do anymore today. Cause it's not going to top that person. It's not yeah. going to top what they just did or said, or like they were fucking awesome, hyper dedicated, but you only get the best of the best. You don't get quick fix people online. And yeah. I never would have thought that was going to happen. And it's like, it's been an incredible experience due to that. Like, I love these clients. I hate sitting here all day because I'm not, I'm like my dogs. I got to like, you know, like I got to do shit all the time. I get in trouble for multitasking all the time, but like I, I have to. So this, this is hard for me, but the clients are amazing. So like that, I never expected. That's what, um, something like, cause they can't do this. Here you go. <laughs> Here's the leash. You know, they can't do that to you. Like, I think like the the cool part is we started PCU online um, shit a couple of years back, I think 2017. So I was used to talking to people uh, more so, but that was more about dog training. Uh, but when it came to like, or actually like, teaching the aspects of dog training, like 
to another dog trainer, like more vocal stuff versus actual, like, you know, watching the dog's behavior and doing those other things. But, you know, the big switch and the things that I really loved about it is it had, like for me, like I'm very blunt, like very straightforward. There's no articulation to like the way I speak. It's, it's very much like, do this shit. This is how the fuck it goes. This is what we're doing. If you don't do it, this is what you're going to get. I'm not going to explain all this other stuff, but what happened with um, when COVID hit and we started getting that influx of, you know, people wanting more online sessions throughout the world. And we're talking, I'm talking to people and like, there's, it's allowed me one to become a better communicator. Um, and two, and like what David said, it's like, you get these like amazing ass clients on there. I have a client in like Texas and she's a fucking, I'll, I'll show her, I'll shout her on here. It's a bow type uh, pup on my Instagram. Her community has come together so crazy for her dog's reactivity. Like, and she's seen so much improvement just for the work that they're doing and just following the homework that like after I'm like done talking to her and like working with her, I'm like, dude, like, can I just have all clients just like, <laughs> just like you? Because the, the amount of progression we've had since the COVID thing started and she signed up with on our, our online training is ridiculous. I mean, it's just, it's been awesome to see just the actual rehabilitation on there. So, I mean, it's, Honestly, I think like the online trainers helped me be a better um, communicator and better dog trainer. That's what I like about it. The the other portion, the part that I don't like about it is that I don't, I'm so used to being in front of people all the time and talking to people and working with dogs and especially on the protection side and like, you know, even the behavior modification side, like, you know, just doing that, like, that's the only part that I'm like, okay, cool. I'm sitting in this chair talking to someone every single day. Like I need to get the hell out of here. I need to go work a dog or do something. Uh, and that's been the only drawback for me. Um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, I've, I've absolutely loved, um, being a part of like the online, you know, side of it and seeing everyone else do it too. Like that thing, that's just, it's super cool because I mean, there's no other, there's no other, I mean, I say in dog training that no other expansion or evolution in dog training that's allowed people to, you know, be able to communicate with amazing guys like you, yourselves, you know, and be in a different part of the world and know that it's actually functional. You know, like that's that's yep. a big thing you know and get that information and you know they can talk to fucking dave you're in like what new jersey and then kitty you're like in florida like someone from like california can hit you guys up and do those things and like and be able to communicate with you guys and get those knowledge like that knowledge and understanding i think that's you know been pretty amazing like that's been one of the cool things about it well yeah. you know, one thing i found is it opened up an opportunity for a type of education or education on a particular aspect of dog ownership that is very easy to how do i say this not give the time it deserves and that is the human end of the leash right and when you're working as you guys have as you guys know and for and i'm, I'm sharing this for all the people watching the pet owners watching so they can understand the context and why we're all saying what we're saying is you can't touch the leash as the dog trainer you're behind it you're behind this camera there is no we'll just do it like this there is no ability for me to use my presence as a human to influence the dog's behavior so what if you want to if you want your client to achieve success at that point what you need to do is you need to actually get into some real human end of the leash psychology it ends up in a therapy session sometimes of talking about some painful emotional stuff 
because you have to change the owner's state of mind because you can't touch the leash. So your state of mind doesn't mean shit to that dog. Like you have to learn at that point how to work with people. Yep. And, you know, I, I, over the years, I've seen a lot of people that were great with a dog. And if you dropped your dog off with them, they could achieve wonderful things. And six months after that boarding training was done, there's uh, all the behavior has regressed exponentially because the human never got the education they needed because the dog trainers sucked at talking to people. Hmm. Yeah. There's, I, I think um, I actually think like I've had conversations about this with other dog trainers. And I think that there's there's obvious sociological reasons for why that's such a common thing. But it's we don't take a step back far enough to look at it. Why does like. Why do most people go into the animal world? Not dog trainers, just work with animals. The number one people. Right. The number one reason I hate people, but I love animals. You should never be a dog trainer if that's your reason. Like you're gonna be the worst fucking dog trainer ever. Unless your job is to like literally just be a dog trainer. Like you you show up at a facility, you get that board and train, you train the fuck out of them. You don't have to talk to anybody, then that's perfect. But if you don't like people, the 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 persons the 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 part that matters, like when you do a lesson with a client, they should be able to apply that to their next dog, and the next dog. Like you shouldn't need us if we do a good job. You shouldn't be calling me back for for like like you know like you shouldn't you shouldn't have to call me back if if, if I did my job. The next time you get a dog, the only reason you should call me is if something pops up that you never experienced. We never went over this. This is never, you know, like if I have to come back for refresher lessons, maybe I didn't do my job well enough. Maybe I I never taught you that well enough, you know, like. And I think a lot of it is the independent. And like, this is one thing that I've noticed that's based on just how like our country is separated and just different areas. So like I've gone to, let's say I've traveled, you know, pretty much the whole United States now doing seminars and everything like that. Um, in California, for example, like, you know, our direct boarding train program, it comes with a lifetime guarantee and it comes with four transition lessons. So we can have the people process all the information each session by each session by each session. So we can have them kind of like process those things. And in California, it's been one of those things like where sometimes they they don't grasp it because all this other stuff's happening. But when we had Minneapolis, when we were in, uh, Atlanta, when we were over there, like talking to people and like having them digest the information was a completely different way of, of like understanding. Like it was amazing to me that I can do, like when I did Forever Home Rescue stuff in uh, Minneapolis and I'd work with probably 15 rescue dogs all reactive at the same session. We do this big seminar uh, and like I teach people how to do it. The amount of retention that they the amount of like retention they took when it comes to like understanding of behavioral stuff and like everything like that and like social like you know socialization like they literally would do what my people would do in California in three in three weeks in about three hours and they would understand that and take that in and that quickly whereas I have clients who will spend upwards of six thousand seven thousand dollars uh, over here, but not retain or understand or take the homework down or do those things over here. And then we have clients who come in from different parts of the country um, and, you know, now different parts of the world who come in and do their those things and they understand it differently. But I've understood 
it's like this weird thing when it comes to the way that people understand it and where they're like, where they're from that dictates the amount of what they can absorb. And I'm not I'm not entirely sure as to why the reason is, but I've definitely noticed that multiple times. And you know, this is through in all my seminars throughout the country that I've seen, like, you know, just even talking to people now throughout the world, you know, just under like seeing that, seeing the homework that they bring back to me and what they put out versus like what we get, you know, in person and here. It's it's definitely something weird. So like that's like that's one of like the cool parts that I've seen, like, and, and that's helped me change a lot of the way that I communicate to people because, you know, that's something that I see with the volume that we see constantly. I'm curious because any, in my opinion, anyway, like any legitimate dog trainer, if you're doing a board and train, there's some, the client's signing something, right? For, for legal reasons, liability reasons. If not, that's like just fucking crazy. But there should be some form of contract with a board and train. Maybe not in yeah. homes, but with a board and train, there almost always is. So I'm curious if yours, um, if yours has anything in there about them agreeing and understanding that they like part of the two way contract. Like mine says, like you are agreeing that you're going to maintain the methods and the the tactics and the training, and you know. So if I say like you can't do this and this and this and this. And like by removing these things from the dog's life and by adding this and this and this, not to make progress and you go home and do the opposite. It's not my fucking training that failed because you're yep. not using it. Right. Like you no, can't 100%. blame a personal trainer and say like they, they, they gave you a shitty workout plan when you never went to the gym. Right. So if you tell someone like this, this dog can never be on your, on your bed, just as an example, and the dog's sleeping in the bed every night, they can't, they can never point the finger back at you and say, it's your training. Oh right? yeah. So I'm curious if you have anything in yours that says that, because I, I do, because to me, this is the most important line in the whole thing that like, you have to keep training. It's not a magic trick. It's like, it's not like I just train the hell out of your dog and they're perfect forever. That's you know, like, uh, got to keep, keep, keep going, whether it's with me or just on your own or whatever. So we labeled it ground zero. So there's four different stages within it. And it's within our contract that if you don't necessarily follow or adhere to what the trainer is saying to do, then you're essentially you're void when it comes to any any issues outside of it right so like you know the so we do what's called um, our lifetime guarantee so you do your four transitions and you have to follow these consecutively after the dog comes in, comes home right so you have to understand because you have they have to change their lifestyle they have to Suddenly change what they're doing we saw you I, I think we just switched screens here um you have to follow the game plan get start at ground zero go from everything else and then keep pushing up more from there. Um, but if you don't follow those, then you're entirely, your plan is not lifetime guaranteed anymore. You lose all aspects of those things. So those are all things that like, you know, we make sure that they're accountable as well, especially considering they're putting their dogs through this program. You know, that's the, you know, that's another main source of the problem is make sure we're educating the people and make sure that they understand like, hey, like, you know, you're the reason why this dog's fucked up, right? <laughs> like this this isn't your dog's fault. Like this is your fault, you know, when it comes to it. So, you know, we work with that. Ooh, Dave's having some technical difficulties. Um, Could you still hear me, Katie? I'm still here. Um, you know, for me, it's, I mean, I don't do boarding trains anymore. So you canceled I mean, them out. I'm sorry. You canceled them out. 
Yeah. I mean, I'll take them in now. The do any dog that comes in now, it's word of mouth, a favor, a hookup. It's something personal. For me to take a dog in, it, it's you really, you got to pull some strings to get room in my house. Uh, the bulk of my time is spent online at this point. So, and I'm enjoying that so much more, like exponentially more for obvious reasons of anyone who's done board and trains, like the headaches, the, for me, I always, I never got used to the stress and the anxiety of having somebody else's precious animal in my home. I, I just, I'm, I'm very neurotic in that way. And like, there's no relaxing. There's no anything because I, I take that responsibility so seriously that I don't find it pleasurable. I find it very personally unpleasant because I care that much and it stresses me the fuck out. So now for me to take your dog in, I mean, there probably isn't even a contract because it's such a hookup. We know somebody, you know somebody who knows somebody who got that ear of mine to let me have your dog come in. But in the same token, though, the work that I am doing in my canine blueprint, the terms and agreement is like three to four pages long. And I repeat over and over again about your responsibility as the dog owner. You acknowledge that I'm providing you the tools. You're the one holding them. And your results will only be contingent upon your application of the information you've paid to receive. If you don't change your behavior, your dog will never change theirs. What's that? Yeah. You made a post about that, Kitty, too, right? It's like, you know, if you're if you yeah. can't control the behavior that like you have as a person, whatever, yeah. like why do you expect that out of your dog type yeah. of a thing? Yeah, your dog's behavior will only change when you change yours, period. Right. So it's the lifestyle changes that have the biggest, you know, biggest influence. Like that's why so many people are like people who contact us. And I'm assuming it's 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 got to be the same for you if you if you've started to have local people contact you, um, and then you offer online lessons to them. They're like, oh, that's not going to work for my dog. But the people online are like, I need online lessons really bad. Like I don't need to see your dog, not for the first phone call. But the first phone call is just I don't need to see your dog. I'm asking over seventy different questions, and I promise you, at the end, you're going to learn a fuckload of stuff you didn't know. Or at least you're going to, like, I'm going to back up and explain the why behind all these things that you didn't, you know, have before. Um, and if you make these changes, you should get progress, noticeable progress before we do a lesson. If you don't get progress after an evaluation, if you don't have progress before our first lesson, you should probably hire someone else. Because you will. If, and if you tell me you don't, you're either full of shit or you didn't, you just didn't make the changes I told you to make. Because it's the lifestyle changes that changes everything else. I don't care how well your dog lays down, right? Like it's the relationship that matters and what you do on a daily basis, how you interact, what you do in your day-to-day -day life with that dog. That's what matters more. The obedience is easy, right? Like anyone can train that, you know, when you understand what's going on up here, that's easy. And so like, like where anyone can train that not understanding this, if you understand this, well, now you can really train obedience. You know, like now, now you can take that obedience to a much higher level because you understand how the brain works. Like, I don't care like that you can mechanically get your dog to sit. It's easy, right? Like you, you don't understand the animal. And I see that all the time and it just makes me sad for the dog and sad for the owners. 
because so many people have have like phenomenal dogs or dogs waiting to be phenomenal, right? They're not because they don't have the right relationship. They don't have the right interactions at home. They don't have the right life. And it's not about routine. It's not about exercise. It's just like what you do every day. Like everything you do, every interaction is a teaching moment for that dog. What are you teaching them? You know, well, like something. But that's like a big breakdown that, like, most people don't understand that at all. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we always say dogs live in the moment, and they do. So, like, any moment they're in is, like, really extreme. I ask people all the time because they, they, they talk about this, like, with jealousy. People are like, oh, to be a dog, they're so happy. I promise you the only dog in my house that is out of their crate right now is miserable as hell. She's probably bored out of her fucking mind and wants to do something. So I guess dogs live in the moment, but you ever take a step back and think like, what moment is your dog in all fucking day? Right? Like when, what do most dogs do all day? Nothing. <laughs> so they're living in the moment of extreme boredom, you know, like, what are you doing with that dog? Because every moment matters and you get to control that. If you understand how this shit works, you know, but like that moment matters. You know, and like you're you're the one playing God over there, so you control that. So if the dog's just bored out of their mind all day, just laying around the house like a typical dog, like I feel bad for that dog. And that goes into like the same theory, like when people talk about like, hey, oh, my dog needs freedom. My dog needs to be out and about doing this. They need freedom. You know, they're wolves or whatever the fuck they did. Like that's something I've I've commonly come close and in lots of contact in the last like few days with people just saying like, well. You're telling me to create my dog all this much, like you know, like you know, use place commands, use this, use this stuff, use you know more duration things, because you know pets or whatever. And like I was like, you know, you put them in these positions. I'm like, yeah, it's like, yeah, because you, we've literally bred these dogs to be dependent. We've literally bred these dogs to be biddable. We've literally created them to be understanding and wanting of our direction. But yet now we want them to act like their their great great ancestors or whatever the fuck you know we were gonna call it, like. How does that make sense? Yeah, so, no, it doesn't. And, and nothing that the emotionally driven perspective spews is going to make sense. And what people forget is that, okay, so and this, is, this is an analogy I use with my students. Never had a job where somebody became your boss. And they didn't become your boss because they have great leadership, interpersonal skills, management skills. They became your boss because they knew somebody or if it was a sales manager position, they were a really good salesperson. So they got elevated to manager. And then you watch them completely struggle because they don't have the skill set to be a leader. They either become excessively permissive and weak or they become tyrannical assholes because they don't know how to handle the power they've been given. Well, our dogs and so many of the, the, the people that we help, you know, their dogs are filling a void. And all this freedom that was given, and, and I love how Dave was talking about lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. Yeah, this lifestyle that's been built for this pet dog, you've elevated, you've given the dog a bunch of things it hasn't earned, and that it probably doesn't have the skill set to do well at. Like, my dog's an alpha dog. No, your dog's not a fucking alpha dog. You're no, forbidden. Uh, I have put people on alpha dog probation in my Facebook group. Like, you're not allowed to use the word alpha for three months. Like, 
You don't know what you're talking about. I hate that so much. Like, your dog is not an alpha dog. Your dog is someone who got a promotion to manager, and they didn't deserve it. That's why you're seeing the aggression. That's why you're seeing the anxiety. Because they're in this elevated position from all the freedom and permissiveness, but they're like, I'm not, I don't know how to deal with can't someone just tell me what to do? Like, uh, who's my boss? And meanwhile, the owner's like, nobody is your boss. You are free. You are no longer a bait dog. You are no longer a bait dog. They're and all bait dogs. They're all bait dogs. They're all are on them, but they're all bait yep. dogs. And they're alive, but they're a bait dog. So, oh my God. <laughs> these dogs are, are suffering from anxiety because they don't want the role that has been erroneously and emotionally given to them. Yeah. It's funny because I explain a very similar thing because, like, it, it drives me crazy. Like, you ever start to talk, you ever say the word dominant or dominance, and someone goes, Oh, I don't believe in that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I didn't say pack leader. I didn't say alpha. It's a fucking personality trait. Being dominant is a personality trait. It's not about the one to rule them all. Like it's not Lord of the fucking Rings. Like it's just a personality trait, right? So like like everyone knows that dominant person that takes over every conversation, has to be in charge, has to take over the party, has to be. And we know that super submissive person who immediately just like rolls over for everything, right? It's just a fucking personality trait. But responsibility is going to exacerbate that. So when you have a nervous, insecure dog and you're like, you're the new emperor, they're going to crumble. So like yep. I'm breaking down to people, I'm like, when you have that narcissistic asshole friend who just thinks they're like the, the king of the world and like they're just a part-time nobody and one day the CEO just gives them their job, they're going to turn into a tyrant. Right, but if it's an yeah. insecure, anxious, like that one friend that like can't even handle being two minutes late to work without like hyperventilating into a fucking paper bag and breaking down and like crying, and they're on Twitter about how their day's ruined and like they just can't handle pressure. But if they get that promotion, they're gonna be they're gonna be like having a full blown meltdown in the back office, right? It just that responsibility is just going to like exacerbate that that problem, you know. So when you promote your dog and you're like, well mini Mussolini over here. I don't know why he's such an asshole or why he's so, well, well, you gave him all this power and authority he's not supposed to have. He doesn't know what to do with it. He's not supposed to be a leader. We fucking created these animals to follow our lead. Yep. And we're, we're like, go ahead, motherfuckers. Lord of the flies. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, right now someone's in Holland going, no, we did not. We created them to rule. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Horrible accent. I don't know what Dutch accent. I'm just fucking saying. It's all. It's all Flemish. It's, it's, <laughs> um, but even like, exactly what you guys are saying. Like that's like. I would say like that's one of the bigger. That's the biggest issue in dog training, is the understanding that you know these animals are not wild animals that we are domesticating right now. They've already been domesticated and, and you know just with genes like they've already been domesticated for years, hundreds of years, and now. Yeah, to over, you know, what you say, 2,000, uh, Katie? 15, over 15,000. It goes back to Neolithic prior to uh, yeah. civilization. So, let's say, so even say that, so we've created this level of dependent beings, and all of a sudden we're like, go ahead, motherfuckers. 
<laughs> do what the fuck you want. What do you think's gonna happen? Especially with the most associative based learners and on the planet and opportunistic beings on the planet. What do you think they're going to do? Form yeah. a community called Chaz in, oh, in Washington. Oh wait, no. They're gonna oh, too soon. Too soon. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, oh no, that's gonna be a that's gonna be over pretty soon. <laughs> I think uh, if people just understood the like the average dog, every single legitimate study, not like the bullshit Facebook article, but like legitimate study, says that a dog's IQ ranges between that of a two to three year old human. To me, it's not at a three. Like for someone who my whole fucking career was in early childhood, I don't, I've never met a dog who I'm like, this, this dog's as smart as a three year old because neurologically and psychologically, like intellectually, the jump between a two year old and a three year old is dramatic. And then from three to four, like that is dramatic. And then it just slows down significantly. It's not, it's no longer leaps and bounds and intelligence. It just, you know, slow. But, I think if the average person understood, like your dog is an intellectual two-year-old and you just told me they should, they, you need your four-month-old puppy to be more independent when nobody's there. Like, what? Yeah. Would you leave your <laughs> fucking daughter in the backyard and go watch a movie? No? Then why are you doing it with your dog? Why would they know that's dangerous? Why would they know that's going to electrocute them? Why would they know not to dig under the fence? Why? They don't. And you learn the hard way when you do that, you know, like, or the dog does. Yeah, when you play that associated base game. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we we act like they should be independent, but they're genetically wired to follow someone else. You're supposed to be that that leader, right? Like, it does, it's not about the pack leader. Just do your fucking job. Yeah, just guide. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it is literally your job. If you are a parent, it is your job to lead that kid through life right it's the same responsibility that's like the one of the especially now with the uh personal protection uh program over here just like growing like out of control um considering the funding and all this other you know bullshit that's happening um we're seeing tons and tons of that because you know that's one thing like a lot of people don't understand is they when you know when people are influxing like this is the funding talk it doesn't it's every agency is different and what's the first thing to go on every agency? Training. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be that way, right? So, like, now people are going to be like, okay, cool. Like, the training's gone. So, now we have to do all this other other, uh, other stuff. But, like, a lot of people are catching on to that. We're starting to see more personal protection clients and everything coming in. So, that's where we're like, okay, cool. We got to talk to people about how to do this stuff and how to understand how to manage your dog properly while you're not there. I mean, if they're a personal protection dog doesn't mean that they got to be civil in all aspects of things. They'd have to be with you and understand how to react to that same point, you know, but that just that environmental desensitization is, you know, extremely important. But I mean, like that's, you know, it all falls into the same play. It's like, okay, cool. Like, can I have my dog run around the house and be cool the whole day and guard my house or do all this stuff while I'm doing whatever I'm doing? I'm like, oh, uh, no, you can do a place command. <laughs> and then, every dog hang out for a little while and then work that scenario or you can put them in the crate if they're not managed properly but then they everyone comes back like what's the point of having a personal protection dog like well that means you have you you literally have a loaded firearm right next to you um you have to treat it as such if you're not going to be attentive and understanding and work the same thing and understand what the value of what you have next to you then 
put it in a crate, put it in a place where it needs to be at. Cause you know, every, every single moment, and especially the way that the dogs see things, everything's in pictures and understanding of what is that, what happened. So what picture are you showing? What are you, what are you teaching them at this point? And not to say years later down the road, um, the dogs won't understand exactly what they're, what they're doing, you know, being in a place like my dog Cerberus, like he can hang out with me here. He can do whatever he's going to do. If something were to pop off, like, would he go 100 percent um would he break his command a couple times and i have to correct yes but i'm obviously very vigilant on what he's doing if i put him in a place but you know that's one that's a that's a lot of stuff that people don't understand like they're like well my dog keeps doing this okay well where's your training at like what are you doing in your training are you actually like watching them do their thing through the whole entire day are you you know just wanting to be like a little trick pony like all of a sudden hey come here let's roll around let's do all this other stuff real quick or is it actually something that we're behaviorally conditioning? Yeah. You know, yeah, that's people want that lap dog that on command transforms into like fucking Megatron and like t- kills everybody and then goes back to cuddling. And like, it's really not the way it works. Like you're training a weapon. If you don't know how to use this, you can't put it in your hands, you know, like, and, it, and it's not something to be like, you know, lackadaisical about. It can't just sit around all day. If that's what you want, you don't need a personal protection dog. But yeah. I think everybody wants the Dobermans off the Simpsons that just prowl around the perimeter and they're like, like this organized pack and they, they just do their own thing outside and like, you don't have to do anything. They're just trained and perfect. And it's not the way it works, you know, unless you just want a monster dog that like kills everybody who walks into your backyard. But that's not, that's not a personal protection dog either. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's like, multiple different aspects of it as well that's like one of the crazier things about it so katie you've done you've uh you've done protection training right yes i have yep uh i mean i started many many years ago like on my own so it was trial by fire it was going in the hood and you know working hood dogs because i was a nobody and you know, when you when you start that way, I gotta tell you, you know, you work a lot of weak dogs, and I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade the way that I got into bite work. I wouldn't trade it for anything, because had I gotten right into a club and working sport dog, like performing dogs, dogs bred to do it, I don't think I would have learned a fraction of what I learned in the hood working with dogs that weren't meant to do it. But we did it anyway, and holy crap! I mean, there's a lot of wisdom to be gained from working the weak dogs and street applications, as opposed to the dog who comes out the box and you just need to show him the right pictures, and he's already he's already that. Um, yeah, I, I've been bit a couple times. Yeah, that's and so like what you just said, like that is essentially my upbringing. So like I didn't. Like I didn't learn from proper genetics. I didn't learn from anything like that. It was literally just like, all right, cool. So um, you have this pit bull. You <laughs> you want to start doing, you know, um, protection work with it. Let's look through the drive, see how they respond to certain things, you know. And then you know it helps you kind of analyze, you know, each individual drive that dog has and what their thresholds are because you can see, you know, when you work prey, all of a sudden you score up real quick. I worked a Dogo the other day. And 
like I was working on prey on this other stuff, like literally gave her the bite. Cool. I took like the whip out and I just turned my shoulder over and then went like this to my side and the dog's right in front of me. The dog literally backed up behind the owner. I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> now I have to um, tell them that the, the dog didn't want to come out of it. I had to go back into prey and moving certain things. But even my space, I would say I was six feet away from the dog and I literally, my movement was from shoulder to here, snap, bring it back, and the dog went right behind. But I bet you the dog's grandfather had killed 20 pumas in Argentina. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, they've all killed like and saved like 20 children. A billion amount of boars. a family um, on a farm in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> so like, but then I ended up it was able to bring the dog back through a lot using a lot more prey work. But I 100% agree. Once you work with dogs, and this is something I've even taught like my guys as decoys, my apprentices, that it's easy to fucking put a Mal or a Dutch or a Shepherd or a Roddy or dogs who are genetically disposed of this like thing. It's super easy to do that, especially to build. But when you're looking at building dogs who have no fucking business and being in the bite or like being in that world, and building those drives and that and not even just the drives just the clarity in the bite if you can do that that's when you're on to something something different because now you're creating more confidence within the dog now you're creating a different personality within the dog and you're having them kind of develop within like their own little psyche you know i've done that with my own dog's bear who's like you know he's tattooed on my hand um you know a dog who literally had zero drive whatsoever it took me a year and that was my experiment and dog was like all right cool for this was eight years ago. I was like, all right, I'm going to try to make you this. And I worked with my mentor, Terry Macias. Uh, and I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to try to make you like a shit. Like, and I, I think at that point it was IPO. And actually, no, it still shits in um, whenever they fucking kind of change the goddamn rules on this thing. So like, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to get you your BH on this and just work you through that. But like just creating that drive and creating that understanding and clarity is the most important thing. But that's where like the decoy aspect of it comes in because you can get a bunch of dumb shits come in there and just, you know, slap a whip and work in defense and do all this crazy stuff. But understanding like what, you know, the pair language and what the understanding of like what the dog is thinking while you're doing these things is so important. And like, that's where I put my guys through the fucking ringer, you know, when it comes to, you know, decoy work, was like everyone has to understand what that dog is thinking in front of you and like what, you know, different positions, different movements, when they're tired, when they're not tired, when they're in heavy prey, when they're not in heavy prey, when they're in all these other things, distractions, environmental stuff and all that stuff. So, I mean, like, you know, it's it's just like, I think that's helped me quite a bit, you know, just in general, um, when it comes to just dog training in general, like, you know, that ability to work with dogs who maybe not be uh, genetically inclined and build with it. Yeah. Like they, I don't think you learn, I don't, even, I don't really think you learn much from an easy dog. You'll learn, but not much. Like if I didn't have, like I got two dogs in a row. Everyone told me to euthanize. That's my own fucking dog. Like, like you know, and then and like I got two in a row that were just fucked. So like, like if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have the knowledge I have today. If I listened to these people, I would not have the knowledge today. I mean, zero, like there's there's really well-known dog trainers all over Instagram that told me to euthanize them and get rid of them. You know, there, there's, there's trainers all over Long Island that were like, dude, just get rid of this fucking dog. And he's like the happiest idiot in the world. He knows like 50 fucking commands. He's super easy to train. Yeah, he's never got like a PSA 3. Um, did I just disappear?
Oh, there we go. Yeah. Back. But yeah, like he'll <laughs> never be like this monster in bite work, but that dog wouldn't bite. That dog wouldn't eat out of my hand. Like he wouldn't, like I'd go to hand him food and he'd turn away like it was going to hurt him and like he wouldn't bite as a Dutch Shepherd, you know, like in, in now look at him, right? Like, yeah, he'll never be this monster, but to build him up to where he is, like the, the education I got from that, if I trained 15 easy dogs, I still wouldn't have gotten that education. Yeah. Right. Like that's, I mean, I worked that dog too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was fucking hard, right? Like he's, he's smart. Dude, he he's loved it, man. He, he, he'll, 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 he'll take the easy way out and like go through rather than over it. Like he's hard. Like he's not an easy dog. And like, he's, 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 he's an enigma. Like he's the most inconsistent dog in certain way, or he was not really anymore, but like he lights up, he would light up one day and then not the other great grips one day, not the other. And when you keep working at that and, and you iron shit out in a dog that's like impossible, that's that's going to make you so much better. You know, like it's going to teach you so much more. Like a dog like that to me, like when you get that dog, that dog that's just fucked and you're fighting science and genetics, if you keep fighting, you're, you're going to learn a lot. You know, as long as it's a fair fight, obviously. You're not trying right. to make the dog do shit you shouldn't. But, like, if, if you stick to a dog that's that hard and you keep going, you're going to learn so much more. That's why people who give up on their dogs, what lesson did you learn on that? Yeah. Like, that Besides quitting is easy. Like, you didn't learn anything. If you stuck to it a, a while, you might have, like, blown your own mind, you know? Tell me your most memorable story about that dog in, in the context of this his evolution with you. Because you got me, like, totally curious. With zero... Uh, fuck uh i mean i don't know like i don't i don't know if i had like a moment there was never like a light bulb moment because it was like one day he would make this massive leap forward and the next day it's gone and it's not like that today like today he's awesome and like his consistency is like dramatically higher he's still not 100 percent. i can't rely on him to be like really you know confident every day or whatever I can only rely on him to be the happiest crackhead dog I've ever seen. But he, like, I would take him, I mean, there's there was moments where it's like, I went outside when the landscapers were like mowing around and there's a guy with a leaf blower and he's chasing a flirt pole. And that was like the craziest shit he'd ever done at that point. You know, like that, he just conquered like nine fears at the same time. You know, or like training in like a, a shopping mall parking lot in the rain on a Saturday. There's cars everywhere, traffic, noise, and he's just prancing away down the parking lot, like healing and working and tugging and playing. Like those are like, to me, those are like monumental milestones in that dog's life because he literally wouldn't eat out of my hand. He wouldn't bite. He wouldn't play. He, he was the best puppy I've ever seen in the crate because it was the only place he wasn't terrified. You know, like, so for him to be this, like, the, like the happiest dog in the world today, never should have happened, according to everybody else. But, you know, like, he was the dog that just get rid of him. You know, my, my, my pit, like, j just get rid of her, put her to sleep, put her down, just sell her, get rid of her, drop her off. Because her, her dog aggression was unfixable. She only, she only, she's the only dog in my house that's naked. And I'm walking by with board and trains, reactive dogs, like, she doesn't give a shit. Like every dog can change. How much is obviously up for question, but they can all change. But I stuck to that. 
And like, if, if I didn't, I wouldn't be a dog trainer. You know, if I just gave up, if I listened to every other dog trainer, I never would have been one, you know, cause I like, I, and I wouldn't have learned much if I just gave up and got an easy dog. Like I see so many people do that I'm struggling with this dog, new dog. Ah, this is man, new dog, new dog. Like that sucks. Like stick to it. And then your next dog will be fucking awesome. But it's, it's, it's like this people don't have that work ethic these days. Huh? What? Yeah, what? Exactly. You're talking about that perseverance word? That, yeah. Pressure. <laughs> Mike can't say it out loud because he's in California. So think words like punishment will get him booted off the call. Words like perseverance <laughs> will get him. If he says perseverance, like he'll get, like his, his internet will just collapse. I can't him. even say the words without my fucking. <laughs> no. And we'll open his door. Right. But no, I mean, like, and that's like the biggest thing. Like, I, and one thing I've always talked to, like a lot of our clients and everything like that, is that you know when we're talking about you know working with your dog, like if it's not the perfect dog for you, what the fuck is that the dog's problem? That's your problem. Like you have to understand how to really communicate with that individual dog because each individual. I mean, like that's the same thing we deal with here, is that each individual dog that comes into us might not be the perfect pro, like perfect dog for what we're doing and what our goals are going to be, especially with boarding trains, um, but. It, that's idealistically what we want because we want to learn off of each individual dog and see where they're at. And like, that's what I tell all my guys is that, you know, you have to learn from the dog in front of you. We're not following a protocol. We're not following a format. We're not doing this cookie cutter box shit where, you know, we're, all right, cool. This is what this dog learns by. All right, let's do that. This is what this dog understands is positive. So this dog understand is, you know, negative. We understand the rankings of what positive and negatives are. And then going from there, um, but that, I mean that's I mean that's drastically helped me. I can't even tell you how many dogs we've gotten recently that other dog trainers like, all right, youth that dog, youth that dog, and like the dog's like perfectly fine. Yeah, like it just didn't fine. fit their program. It just didn't fit. Yeah, it didn't fit into what the fuck they were thinking about, which is absolutely insane to me because yeah. if you're in this industry and you're doing dog training and you're doing this stuff like that you're in this for the dogs right so why are you recommending euthanization for a dog who is reactive and katie you know i had this conversation before before because it's it's aggressive there's two fucking different things here you know is the dog naturally aggressive genetically aggressive is it actually reactive because of a behavioral thing that they've experienced in the past like, what are you doing? And then understanding that the fact that dogs aren't as simple as what most people think that they are, you know, dogs are still living beings. They understand and reflect and associate certain things, certain events to certain reactions and continuously do that over and over again. You know, like, that's a huge thing for people to understand and, like, understand and, you know, just and actually apply. Yeah. What do you got on that, Katie? Uh, nothing. I agree with that because, like, Jesus, I mean, we beat that horse to death. I mean, right. you know, uh, our dogs are going to do what we let them do. Our dogs are going to do what we teach them to do. And, you know, now we can get down a whole rabbit hole of, like, how to just live your best life, which is instead of running from challenges or running around obstacles, you climb the fuck over them. And guess what? You get on the other side, and suddenly you're stronger. Oh my gosh! Like imagine that. 
Uh, are we I mean, allowed to talk about that? Yeah. About getting stronger and better? And well, we are, but Mike is it? Oh, okay. He's in California. He's not allowed to. Uh, the last. So to give everyone reference on this conversation, uh, the last time I had Mike, <laughs> had Mike Nesbitt and I had Katie on. I was I don't know what the fuck I was talking about, but literally every time I talk about like correction, like my phone will cut out. Like it literally it would literally just be gone and I would pop back in and that happened what more I mean I don't even think times, three, four times. And like and then I stopped and then I was like started watching like what I was saying and I then I stayed on the rest of the actual drinks and dog. <laughs> yeah. You know might be a shareholder in this uh crowdcast reason. I need I need to fuck. I mean shit. This is the first time I heard about it. Oh my god. What were you saying, Kitty? I was gonna say, what do you say we jump in and tackle a question? All right, let's do it. I'll pull one up here. Um all right. Brittany asks, is it okay for your dog to never interact with other dogs and people as long as properly socialized around those stimuli? Um I'll I'll run quick on that. Um I know I'm real funny about words like always and never. So in my program, I tell my students, regardless of whether they have a puppy or an adult dog, for like the first month at least, I, I cut off interactions because they the people don't know what socialization is. They don't know what good interactions are, bad interactions are. And typically most of my students, when they start, they don't have an effective relationship with the dog. So as a ground, you know, Mike, to use your term, as a ground zero, I'm like, stop, stop. No interactions with anybody other like, than the immediate family for now. And then I kind of expand it to, all right, when the dog is on leash, no interactions with dogs and other people. You know, as you get more savvy, as you start to read your dog and understand how to read other dogs and other people, you know, I'm never going to say, I'm not going to say never. I mean, with puppies, I, so the puppy I'm raising right now, he's never, no one's ever touched him while I'm holding a leash. But I brought, I brought him over to a buddy's house last night and I took him off leash in the house and they, they were cuddling and there was all kinds of interactions and, you know, appropriate things. Because that's the picture I want him to see. The only thing I want him to get out of that is being touched by somebody else dealing with it appropriately. But the context, it wasn't while we were on the leash and walking down the street, because I don't ever want my dog thinking that when they're on leash walking down the street, everybody else is full of awesome things. So, you know, I'm not, I want to hear what you guys have to say about this. So I'm not going to do the other 45 minutes that I <laughs> really do on what a proportion it is. Um, it's really about exposure. And when they do interact, ensuring ahead of time that you already know it's going to be a good interaction which probably means no fucking strangers because they're all like they're gonna fuck up it's someone you trust someone you know who you can say if my dog jumps on you don't pet them if my dog does this don't touch them here's what i want you to do and you can you can control them and as far as other dogs i'm real sketchy about that i uh, especially with puppies the only way I will allow a puppy to interact with another dog is if I know the other dog, it's an adult. Puppies and puppies, puppies teach each other how to be fucking assholes. Yep. That's all they teach each other. Line I will, leading line. Yeah. 
I will allow a puppy to interact with a seasoned brood bitch who's had other litters. She knows how to deal with puppies. Or that dog who I've seen with puppies and he's just like, he's cool, he's chill, he enforces, but he's not a dick. Like, I need to vouch for the credibility of the adult that my kid is hanging out with. Yeah. I, I actually agree with all of that. Like, I don't, like, the, the, the older dog thing, I explain that to people all the time. Like, like, well, well my puppies got to play with puppies. What? Why? Why is that so important? Why do you want your puppy learning from another puppy when they should be learning from, like, a responsible, well-trained, socialized, calm, like, like with out of my three dogs, everybody always thinks that like first of all they just think our dogs are gonna play together, and they're not, and they instantly go to zero because they're like, oh well your Dutch is super happy, and I'm like, yeah, he's also crazy, so he might trample your fucking Yorkie into the dirt trying to be its friend. Like just because you think this dog is like this or that doesn't mean they're like this is a good fit, and they don't have to socialize. Like if you're gonna say they're a pack animal, why do you? Why are you also saying they should socialize? That doesn't make any sense. Like, like if you're calling it a pack animal, pack animals don't go play with other packs, unless it's a fucking war, a right? Gang like, war, man. Right. Like baboons have literal gang wars, like actual gang wars. Like a pack of baboons will fucking go to war with another one. That's their socialization. Like, we can go to the bar and get a drink. We can have a beer. We can talk for an hour. Wasn't that socializing? We didn't have to beat the shit out of each other on the floor. Like, playing and socializing are not the same. Your dog does not have to play with every fucking dog they see. And, like, like I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I'm really careful and cautious and, like, neurotic about, about dogs socializing together. If it's humans, that's different. And like people usually think that if, if they'll, you know, they ask me if they can pet my dog, I'm going to say no. And like, I don't, I don't give a shit if it's the right dog in the right setting and you ask and it's the right circumstances and you know, but if I can't get that dog back from you, then no, if you pet my dog and play with them and all I need to do is say their name and you're just a fucking peasant again, then I don't care if you pet my dog. Right. But it depends on the dog. If it's a brand new puppy, now you're a new resource. And I'm lower, you know, like, like I was really valuable, but they just had a party with you. So I'm a little less valuable now. And the strangers are a lot more valuable than they used to be. Like, I don't need that. That doesn't benefit. That's why you don't go to a nude beach on a first date. Right. There you go. <laughs> you wait a couple months until you got her hook, line, and sinker. And then she can see all the ding-a-ling she wants. And you're still King Dong. <laughs> that is one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sorry, I mean, Mike. I didn't mean to share your personal story with everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes that has to has how it works, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, like you know, for us, like you know, the, the thing that we do consistently with all the dogs that come in is that immediately when we go out, you know, the dogs are working with food in any environment, in every environment. They don't care about other people. I I have no problem telling someone to fuck off when it comes to asking to want to pet my dog. Because the same reason, like Dave, you were saying, it's like you know we don't want to have a value to any other dog, any other person uh, when it comes to people or when it comes to dogs. Like, oh my dog's friendly, they just want to meet. I was like, no, it doesn't matter because every dog you know can be as friendly as possible. 
but it doesn't mean that they're going to be friendly together. You know, that's right. one aspect that most people don't understand is that, you know, even as people, you know, people can be as friendly as fuck, you know, someone can be nice as shit, but if we meet someone else who's nice as shit, if our personalities don't conflict, or you know, or don't or don't actually mash up. We're gonna have an issue. It's like the same thing. I, I, it's uh, it's like the mall experiment. I tell people is like you know, as you walk through like a mall, for example, and you see somebody else, and like there's certain people that you just want to punch in the fucking face without even like talking to them. Now imagine your fucking dog, like now imagine your dog walking through without being able to communicate or understand or be able to break down that mentally in a way of like okay i don't need to do that because i'll go to prison um i i can't do that thing so for dogs you know that's like even more consciously because now we're developing it more mentally behaviorally for us and for dogs and now we have to correct that behavior of them showing attention if that's something that's naturally you know you know what they have they're like oh hey that dog is over there or let's say you know the dog has gone to a dog park multiple times and they've, you know, been a bunch of dogs or they've been in a doggy daycare for, you know, God knows how long, you know, like that's all part of the problem. So breaking that down and understanding like, oh, hey, like we are reinforcing that behavior through these things without actually stopping it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, there's tons of things that we can go into it, but yeah, for us, I mean, you know, we tell people like in the beginning, it's, it's ground zero when it comes to socialization, you know, socialization is being out and about when it comes to pack stuff that's, you know, in the house, the people in the pack, or like what Katie said, you know, your friends, the people who are going to be around a bunch, you know, that is particularly their pack. That's their people. That's who they're around. You know, it's not the world, you know, it's not everybody, you know, they're not going to be friendly with anybody. So that expectation is, you know, quite ridiculous. Well, people yeah. also forget how the dog's brain forms and the, the life stages. You know, people ask me, well, I need to socialize my pup. And I'm like, well, technically, that should have happened before your puppy got to you. If you bought from a responsible breeder during weeks uh, late four, definitely weeks five and six into seven, seven things start getting touchy. They should have been socializing when that puppy had no fear of anything because fear had not developed in the dog's fucking brain yet, and they were just dumb and curious and crazy, that's when the puppy should have had all kinds of kids touching it, adults touching it, other older dogs in the, the kennel, the house around it, because the dog didn't have any fucking fear then. Once that dog gets home to you at the arbitrary number of eight weeks which is most dates you know uh things have changed things have changed so today the dog could not give a shit about that garbage can and tomorrow the puppy could look at that garbage can and go whoa that's kind of weird and if something happens on that day (laughs) yeah you're gonna have some issues the real People touching the dog and all of this, ideally, it would hopefully happen with a responsible breeder during time while the puppy's being weaned and before their brain just started changing. I mean, that's just how the dog's brain works. 
And when people go adopt, don't shop, I'm like, well, you do realize that responsible breeders are doing really wonderful things to make your dog a well-adapted member of your family. Yeah, and that's a so just give an example as far as like what we do is with our dogs when we breed the well, we've done only private breeding, is like our dogs when they eat their food, they're literally listening to a soundtrack of riot noises flash bang grenades fucking like they eat off a tarp like for eight weeks and then i always tell all of our clients like you know before the first 16 week period you need to bring that dog the fuck out in the world and <laughs> show them everywhere don't let no one touch them but show them everything and then go from there because like you said like some behaviors are temporary as a puppy and you know you have to rely on genetics at the end point but i mean the same you, you can also do tons to help your dog be comfortable in every social scenario. And especially, you know, when it comes to working with food, you know, making sure that they are completely engaging with you and not caring about anyone else when it comes to the environmental aspect of things, you know, that's super important too. Let's see here. I'm, I'm working on the screen, so I'm always over here. Dave, what's, what, what are some of the things you see in the context of socialization with regards to problems that you have to fix with your clients? So like they've come to you, they have a dog and you, the socialization words start getting thrown around. You know, what problems are you seeing that they, of things that they've done before they've came to you? And how are you going about trying to help them? I actually see, and when I say this to clients, they're like, brains explode but like i see way more people with problems because they had everyone touching the dog and like playing with i see way more problems from the socialization than from not doing it like i honestly like i don't know if i've ever met a dog where i was like the real problem they weren't socialized (laughs) i don't think i've ever come to that conclusion in my entire life like just like I've never come to the conclusion in my fucking life that the problem this dog has, it came from a lack of love. Like, that doesn't exist. You know, like, we, we fuck everything up by putting too much fake love, right? Because we show our dogs love in ways that don't make any sense. That would never show love to a human or to an animal. So let's right? break this apart real Other- quick, Dave. Let's break this apart real quick. So, socialization. What does that actually mean? To me, um, they don't have to ever make contact. They don't even have to have like a real interpersonal interaction. But just being around each other in like a calm, stable way, to me, that's better socialization. So I'll have boarding trains where like I'll do their training session in in the living room with two or three dogs in place commands. And like, they're not playing, they're not walking up, sniffing each other and licking their ears and shit. But that's, but it was still enough for that dog to like calm down in the presence of other dogs. And, and like, yeah, they, they might not be rolling around on the floor, but it's, it's, it's still enough socialization for them to get used to other dogs and comfortable, comfortable around people. Like you can walk your dog around Home Depot for an hour and leave and nobody touched them. But weren't they still technically getting exposure to people for an hour the entire time in a way that's not going to fuck them up. 
because you don't have this idiot who's like, let me grab your dog by the face and give him kisses. Like, you know, like that's still a form of socialization. It's just not what people think because they think they have to be like engaged with one another and they don't. Not at all. KD, socialization. It's exposure training. Dave just said the word exposure. That's what I, I use the word exposure. And I'm not talking about like dropping my pants in the middle of a public place exposure. I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the dog being everywhere and learning that you're still the biggest, coolest motherfucker in the room, you know? And, and so I, I just the other day, to tell you a story, um, I, I took both Elmo, who's got some issues, and his son Gizmo out to the, the cliche Home Depot trip, right? And uh, it was our first time with both of them. And I had one of my clients who's actually local. Uh, he's got a gorgeous little Rottweiler pup. And it was his first time out, too. And I prepped the guy. I prepped him the day before. Because he's like, what do I got to do to get ready? I, and I typed out. Say this 100 times tonight. No, thank you, but thank you for asking. And he's like, what's that? I'm like, that's your fucking script. To every fucking schmo who's going to come on out here and be like, can I take the puppy? You're going to say, no, thank you, but thank you for asking. That's two motherfucking thank yous in one sentence. If they get a problem after that, they can go fuck themselves. So we we go to Home Depot. We, we work in the parking lot. And his puppy was getting kind of starting to get low. I mean, it's Florida. It was 97 degrees by 930. So I'm like, now's the perfect time to work our right way to the entrance. We're not going inside today, but the, the puppy's getting tired. Now I want to go to the entrance. Higher stimulation, lower energy level. I like that. I like that that mix up. So, you know, we're working on just engagement. That's it. That's it. Leash pressure, engage. Leash pressure, engage. So, of course, some lady starts walking up, and as she's coming up, she takes her corona mask off, and she starts leaning over, and I'm watching him. <laughs> he takes the puppy, of course, at the end of the leash, and he takes a step in the direction that the puppy's pulling. And I'm like, you motherfucker. You motherfucker. You're, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. And I'm standing behind him. My coffee hasn't kicked in, so I'm in a real shitty mood. And... She starts to lean over. She's like, "Oh," you? and he's like, "Oh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of working. We're, we're, we're working on some stuff." And he's like, kind of half holding the puppy back. And she's about to make contact. And finally, I got to step up. I'm like, "Thank you so much for not petting the dog. We're working on teaching the dog to focus on his daddy right now." You know, that gets diffused. I look at him and I'm like, "You motherfucker! I gave you one fucking job to do, and you almost..." Sucked it up. <laughs> He's like, well, you know, I didn't know. I said, listen, time out, time out. You got a Rottweiler. It's a, it's a nice Roddy, too, by the way. Oh, it's nice. a little boy. He's a fucking pisser, let me tell you. Um, I said, you got a young male Rottweiler. You need to absolutely be a leader in his life, and he needs to have respect for you. Who the fuck would respect someone who can't even tell a complete stranger not to pet their dog? Dude, until you grow the hair on your ginger ass to be able to tell a stranger to walk off, 
don't expect that dog to respect you because I don't fucking respect you right now. And yeah, we had a moment. We had a moment. I said, he's a jack. He's a young frog. He's jacked. And I'm like, dude, I'm put those muscles away, dude. They don't mean shit right now. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's essentially what it is. I mean, like, you know, both of, both of you guys said, you know, like that's the, the misconception of what socialization and understanding of what social interaction is, is completely different for most people. And like, that's like the crazy thing about it is that, you know, let's say us three, we want to, let's say we use a bar for example we go to a bar we're gonna be talking to each other right we're not gonna be talking to the immense amount of crowd or whoever i mean you know priya or you know back uh after covid we're not gonna be actually talking to a bunch of different people we're gonna be talking to each other and we're gonna be interacting we don't care about what's out there you know and that's the same thing with dogs is that that's like my view opinion like you know, exactly what you guys both said is that i want them to think and then kid you said it as well as like I want them to think I'm the coolest motherfucker in the world. What everyone else has is zero. That's furniture. That's even, I mean, I don't want them to do it, but that's stuff you pee on. Like, like that, like that's not there, right? Like you are literally here the whole entire time. Like who gives a fuck about them no matter what they do and like what they say. So I mean, I think you guys uh, brought it up perfectly fine. If you want a pet that doesn't give a shit about you, isn't that what cats are for? Right, <laughs> I, I, cats are fucking assholes, man. I I still to this day can't. I I wanted only reason I wanted a cat once was because I wanted to teach him how to you know take a shit on the toilet. That was pretty much it. That was pretty much <laughs> now. And like at that point, I probably think about rehoming the cat after we've trained him how to shit on the toilet in person. That was only the reason. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get on the anti-cat. Dave, do you have like six cats or something? I mean, no. No, I, I, I'm actually, I had cats growing up, but I'm allergic now, so I can't have one even, even if I wanted to. But to me, cats are the biggest assholes in the world because they deserve to be. Like they are the apex predator of the planet. Like dogs are pathetic in comparison to a cat. Put a 65-pound cat against a 65-pound pit. That's over. You know, is he shredded into tiny like confetti of dog? Like it, it would it would be humiliating. Cats are fucking superior. That's but we can't train them, so we have dogs, right? Like if you could have a fucking tiger, you wouldn't be like, yeah, but my German Shepherd's cool too. No, it's not. <laughs> Get your tiger out. Like that's awesome, you know. Like but we can't. They're too. Be careful. Carol Baskin is watching, David. She might come. Find, be careful. She's out there. I'll send my test two properties. <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, we, uh, you were talking about the dogo earlier. You mentioned that, and that's when I had to crack the 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 puma joke. You know, like people believe the most ridiculous things. Now, mind you, I'm an only child. I grew up with my face in animal books, like animal encyclopedias. I was obsessed with every kind of animal. I used to know all the Latin genus, species, phylum, all that shit. Like, if you look at a 80-pound mountain lion, puma, cougar, whatever floats your fancy vernacular, like, and then you look at a 110-pound dogo, you look at their anatomy, you look at how the legs move, you look at the paws, you look at the mouth, you look at the spine and the flexibility, and then you look at the fucking mouth. 
And you're going to tell me that Dogo fought a equal sized or even slightly smaller cougar? Alone. You're full of bullshit. Like those cats are murderous sons of bitches. They, they also leave out. They also leave out that when they do hunt, they have like Kevlar armor on. But when they supposedly saved the family and got the baby out of the burning building and fought off an army of fucking lions, they were naked, naked and alone. Completely, no collar, no nothing. And they fought off everybody like it was crazy. Yeah, we got to give credit where credit is due with regards to the feline order of animals. I don't care to own one, but I mean, oh, listen, yeah. I watched Mark Singer in the 80s in the Beastmaster when he had a fucking tiger walking next to him. And you know what? I wanted a loincloth and a tiger, too. Yep. <laughs> I have a loincloth. I just don't have the tiger yet. All right. I mean, like, the funny, the, the best part about it, too, is like when you talk about like wild cats, like big wild cats, too, if you spend time with them or spend time, even. Spend time with like wolves, like the difference of what, like, okay, cool, you're I'm sending a dog out for you, like that's kind of kind of wild here, okay, like I'd send multiple dogs out for you because the way that they interact, the way like their jaw shape, the way that their structure is, and the way that their fighting style is, I mean, I mean, man, that's a whole other ball game. Yeah, there's a reason you could never decoy for a cat. Right, I, it's literally wants, impossible. It wouldn't, and Aaron it wouldn't wants those fucking. Uh, well, I don't even know what the fuck they call them, but um, the those little jaguar cats, Savannah cats. Savannah cats. No. So you can decoy for that cat. Everyone like, who gets that, it ends with one day it killed my dog. Like everyone who gets one, like one day it ate my daughter. So you know, I have a fish now. Like you don't yeah, need a never. jungle cat. Like. The fuck? You guys have an army of fucking Malinois and Dutches. That, like, you don't need a jungle cat. I got a garage full. Like, I literally have like a full troop. <laughs> there's gonna eat one of your dogs one day. Like the like Ozzy is gonna like turn into this cat's lunch. Like that's how unstoppable cats are. Like that, that one cat takes on like five dogs. They all run away. She had a mini. She had a little cat. Um, was it was Pasta? Uh, his name is Pasta. It was like his fucking his teeth were Terrifying. that big and he was tiny and but he was a little motherfucker but he was my best friend and then and then she had um lou lou was probably one of like the like most sneakiest uh cats ever in the world and i'm like okay like you motherfuckers are predators she would literally crawl up and then all of a sudden just bang hit you i'm like you psycho ass motherfucker like you're you're like you're fighting a war in your head <laughs> No, no, no. no, so we're we're off of cats here. Yeah, we need to be because I'm I'm having some like PTSD from some previous. <laughs> um, here's a question. Um, this might require. This is from Michelle Glass. Uh, thank you for your question, Michelle. This might require a far too in depth answer. Figured I'd ask anyway, but I have a very possessive dog when it comes to that's that real quick. Hmm? Um, a very possessive dog when it comes to tug, and he doesn't enjoy bringing the tug back for more, even when he's attached to me with a leash, and I'm running around like a crazy person trying to get him excited to play with me. Any small things I can do to make progress, any specific resources I should check out. I don't think that would require really 
too much of a in-depth answer. I think there's a number of little things principle-wise that could be touched on. Dave, what, what do you think? So this is the kind of question where I would go, I can't answer that without asking you, you like 70 questions because there's like, what is that dog's life like? What do they do all day? Right? Like, so if they're just like dead on the floor, like a fucking dead animal. And then like you come home from work nine hours later and you're like, play with me. Well, you're not really that exciting. You're not that valuable. You're a break in the monotony. Like there's endless variables that could be creating this to me. You know, like to me, like I couldn't even just be like, oh, just try this. I don't know anything about the dog. There's too many things that could be affecting this. So what I'll do is I'll look at stuff like this and I won't give any information on methods to fix it. Like you just said, because there's 70 plus questions that need to be asked. Yes. Yeah. So what, you know, what comes to mind when I think of that question is a couple of principles, not methods or solutions. Because we can, you know, no, none of us can give any solutions on this whatsoever. We can't, Michelle. So, you know, thank you for your question. We're not going to give you methods or steps or solutions. But I think maybe we can work on some perspective on what even is the game of tug. You know, a dog who's really consumed with possession, to me, is a dog who has learned a different version of the game than I want to play. I don't want to play a game where possession is victory. I want to play a game where winning or engagement is victory. So, you know, when we're looking at tug, I want to create a situation where the dog wants to bring, obviously you do too, Michelle, that's why you're asking this question. The dog wants to bring it to me. Well, why would he want to bring it to me? If merely possessing it is victory for him, and he's content with running away because that's what he wants. He wants to take it and run away. I need to give him a different type of victory. And that victory could be winning possession. Well, once you've won possession, I want the dopamine. I want his, his arousal, his pleasure to go down. So the only reason, the only way he can get more is to bring it back to me so we can play again so he has the opportunity to win on a rebite or win on whatever behavior i want to reinforce and when you that's where michelle when you go around on the internet and you see these you know very skilled trainers where they let go of the toy and the dog brings the toy back in some of the dogs even aggressively like slam their handler with the toy that dog has learned that possessing is boring Winning possession is fun. The only way to win possession is to keep playing. You see where I'm going with this, Michelle? Like that—that's what I'm thinking. Is something's missing in how you taught the game? And like David said, without asking 70 plus questions, we can't tell you how to fix it. Because I don't know how you're playing the fucking game. But you played it in a way where possession and isolation were more valuable than winning. I would say without asking anything, that dog thinks it's more fun to play without you. Yeah. And you should be like, like the dog should, to me, a, a dog with good engagement thinks everything's better with you. Like this is boring as hell, you know? So like if I give this, right. if I give this to my younger, youngest dog, he'd slam it into me. 
if I gave this to my oldest dog, technically she would slam. She'd just like punch me. Like, dude, I don't want, I can't play tug by myself. <laughs> you are the those, game. The, those, yeah. I'm the fucking game. Like, this is not the game. This is just what's bridging two different species together to play the game. Right. This is just what allows us to play with that dog. This is not the game. The tug is not the game. The game is the game. And that dog probably doesn't understand the game or they have a different understanding. So you're trying to play a different game than they are, which is yeah. super common. That's what most dogs, you like, oh, the tug, they run away. And you're like, what the fuck? You know, like that's <laughs> normal because they, because they weren't taught how to play. But then again, neither was the human. You know? Yeah. I mean, like that's, I mean, essentially, I mean, I would say I have to repeat the same information you guys have to do is that. It's not about the actual object that I'm using for my reward, whether it's indirect or direct. It's about me with that object and like yeah. where it comes from, you know, and it's consistently the same thing, no matter what it is, it's me producing that object, making that object fun, making those things mm -hmm. great. Whether it's the same thing with food or nothing like that, it still comes, comes from me. I am the best thing in your life. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. You bring that to me. As soon as that object gets thrown out, we play tug. You bring it back to me. We play. That's pretty much it. You know, we are yeah. we are the game, and like that's where we talked about earlier when it comes to socialization. I think this tags in very well. Is that we should always be the number one to you know in their world, right? Because you like you said, Dave. Like you know, we we're playing God in that essence of things. Yeah. You know, to me, that's where, that's where we should be at. Yeah. Like to me, as a dog owner, you you are God. Unfortunately, whether you like it or not, like everything in that dog's life has to go through you. Like I tell people all the time when they, they, they humanize their, their dog, like that's not your child, but it is your dependent. Yep. Like they are dependent on you for every single thing in their life. They're not supposed to be independent. It defies nature. It defies science. It defies the animal. Right, they're supposed to be with you. So now again, take that exact concept and apply it to Tug. It's supposed to be with you. Right? You're not like here, take this leather toy and fuck off. Like yep. they're supposed to be over there holding this board, like, but I'd rather play with you. You know, like that's like the kid standing in the driveway with a basketball, like looking at dad, like, but I don't want to play by myself. I wanna like this would be so much better if you would come out here and, and play with me. You know, like, like your dog's supposed to do this with you. So, that, like, to me, the dog just simply doesn't understand the game. But most dogs don't. Most people don't. Like, I, it, it's, I didn't for years. I was training dogs for years before, like, truly understanding, like, how that game works. Right? And, and, and I think that's, a, it's one of the most overlooked things in dog training is just playing with your dog. Just having you know, fun. Like, like, you're the yeah. one, you know? But how to do that productively, you know? Yeah. Like, I posted a video about this. I posted it, and I knew, I knew that, like, 99% of people are going to watch this video and not get it. Like, it, but it, that's fine. I don't really care. So I posted a video and wrote, like, it's not about, it's not supposed to be about the toy. It's, a, it's like this whole subject right here. It's supposed to be about the game. So the video was just, like, I, I took Manic outside. I had a handler vest. It looked like I put on 25 pounds because, like, every pocket was, like, bulging. So I pulled out a Frisbee, and I'm like, yes, and he grabbed it and starts playing tug. That's not a tug, right? But he's playing tug, 
And then I pulled out a, a ball and a string. Yes. And he let go of that. Grab that. Pulled out. Did, yeah. Let go. Grab that. Pulled out. Something. And everything I pulled, like a fucking clown car, just kept like, like more just keeps coming out of the vet. And he would just let go, grab that and play the same game. And none of the toys were the same. Because if you know how to play the game, it doesn't matter what you're using. Right? Like yep. I can hand you like a fucking plastic coffee cup and go, let's play basketball. That trash can is the, uh, that's the hoop. And we can play game. We can play, right? You don't have to have the right, to- the right tools if you know how to play the game. And like I like I posted, it got like no fucking views and like people didn't understand what I don't care. It's not why I posted it. I posted it for that's that the important 1%. part. Yeah, for that one percent of people that were like, "Wow, like I'm gonna try to do that with with my dog." And it's not like all of my dogs can do that, right? Like because I didn't train them in a, in a, well enough or or diverse enough that they can understand that game. It takes real training for that dog to really know how to play with you. And if you don't do that on purpose, how would they know? You know, I think that's like, like playing with your dog properly is something I, like more trainers really should focus on because it matters so much. Like a dog's in, in a dog's mind, everything's just fucking butterflies and rainbows. Everything's about having fun, right? Like you go to the park to wear them out. They go to have fun. You go to that trial field to win. They go to have fun. You pick up that leash to go train them and teach. They go to have fun. Like it's all like, they're just trying to have fun. They don't give a fuck about your goals or obedient. Like it's, if you train them right, it's all a fun game, right? Like protection work. If your dog, if you, if you're not looking for this civil monster, you can just train them. It's a game. No social dog in the world knocking down decoys in a suit because they're just like, oh, you're wearing my favorite toy. It's just all how you train them. Like you can train them. Everything is a game if that's what you want. They just got to know how to play. Well, I came in at the right moment. I'm glad I caught that. That was, that was well said, man. That was, I like that a lot. Thank you. A lot. A lot. I got, okay, I got a question. Because, you know, Dave, I don't know you. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you train outside of, I try. I took a look um, ahead of time at some of your Instagram stuff. And, you know, I look at, you know, I look at shows like this as an opportunity for me selfishly to get to like pick the brain of someone else who's, who's doing great things. Um, so my question is about markers and what markers. I'm not, this isn't loaded. It's a sincere question. Like what markers. This do you is loaded use? as fuck Katie. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I actually probably, I know you, so like, like Mike has like a one click or a two click, right? I wasn't even going there. Like Mike went there. No, 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 no. Mine is, mine is a marker. I definitely definitely go a lot farther with it than that. Not with my regular clients. Cause like you can watch people's eyes glaze over when you start talking about like crazy marker proofing exercises and shit. But like with, like with manic. His marker training is way beyond what I would normally do with a dog. So he has a lot of markers. Mm-hmm. So like with a clicker, he does have a duration and a terminal marker. But it's not one and two. It's just one and multiple. Because I use the multiple for, for different things. Like if the dog's like 100 feet away 
and I go click click, they'll run to me for that reward. But if I'm like click 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 click, they're gonna run faster because they're like getting more. Every click is you know like a little explosion in their brain. But like I have a bunch of markers. So like if I'm healing with Bannock, one marker can tell them it's like the rewards in my left. One tells them go behind my back. It's in my right. One tells them keep going. One tells them it's over there. One, you know, so like he has, he has a bunch of markers, but to me, marker, like proper marker training. How the fuck are you even training your dog? If you don't understand marker training, because to me, one of the most common beliefs in dog training since the beginning of dogs is it's all about repetition right and it is it like it, it obviously is but if, if you do it really well it could be 25 reps if you don't understand it at all it might take you 3,000 to get those 25 reps and like i can't fully it would take like a 30 minute breakdown like like i i go like really deep into markers in, in what's usually my first lesson but if, if the if the the handler doesn't understand timing and when they're supposed to mark and when they're supposed to reward and like all that stuff it that that lack of understanding is why it took you a thousand reps to get a really good down it should have taken 30 it should have taken 100 it should have taken you know like it shouldn't take that much if your markers are good because that's the most basic verbal communication you have with a dog that's not a command right Com a command is advanced shit commands are like i want you to go do this a marker is just going i like that or i don't like that or keep going you know like it's really basic stuff but let's, it, so let's break down markers stuff. for the people who don't really understand yeah that's a good point dog training. so let's break down a marker katie a a a cue a, a signal that you are giving the animal that lets them know they did what you want them to do. And I kind of hesitate when I say that because my markers have more in-depth meaning than just that. You know, like me, for example, if, if I am using a click, my click means three different things at the same time. It means I love what you just did. You don't have to do it anymore. Now come get food from my hand. Right. Now that now that third piece, I gotta I have to give uh, credit where credit is due. Um, I added that third piece in after having some really long uh, conversations with Nino Trauer from SDS Canine. Um, you know, I used to just have the click mean, I like what you did. You don't have to do it anymore. Go do what you want. So it was a release. It was, it was, it was a release to if, so I could throw a ball and the dog would be engaged with me. When I clicked, the dog didn't come to me. The dog went and got the ball. Right. I, and that's not what that means. I, you know, for, well, for that dog, that's what it meant. But when I started talking with him and he kind of helped me get a little bit deeper that you can have more markers, you can get more specific with your markers, you can add in, come get food from my hand. Or, and then you could say, if, if it's to go get a ball or to go get something in the environment, it can be a different marker. 
And I really like that, especially with regards to my pet clients, because sometimes they might not realize or recognize that what the dog wants in that moment might be something inappropriate. So the click could release the dog into something that they don't want the dog released to. So uh, I added in the come get food from my hand when I used, you know, the clicker. And then what I started doing was if it was a release into a toy, like it really isn't a release. I made it the bite command. So it's not a release. It's a command that's reinforcing. Go bite that thing you want to bite. It's a command, kind of, but really it's a, I know what you want right now. Now go do that. So if I click, you'll come to me to get the, the food. And then if I go, after you get the food down, you'll go we'll grab the ball, grab the decoy, whatever. Um, you know, and then what I'm also doing is like with my pet clients, especially, I start building in a release before I even get into a clicker or a yes or any of that. So I do a lot of threshold work. The first thing my clients work on is threshold work. Crate and exterior doors where the dog is not allowed to leave or cross that threshold without a cue or without a release. You know, so if I say break, that means I made up this, I made up this term. It's like a movement marker. It's like you did what I want you to do. Now I'm allowing you to move. And you can move wherever you want to move to. So they're building up the dog's knowledge of what break means or free or the release. They're building that up at thresholds. They're building it. They're building it. Now we're doing some obedience and some behaviors. And they're either using a clicker or they're saying yes as a marker to say, I like what you did. Come get this in my hand. And then eventually they meet. Once the dog becomes fluent on a behavior, fuck a clicker. I don't use a clicker once the dog understands what shit is. Now if I tell a dog down, I don't need the precision of the clicker. The dog down, I can say break. Sometimes more, I'm not going to live with, my clients aren't going to live with food on them forever. So sometimes movement, freedom is the reinforcer because that's what the dog wants at that moment. And we always got to know what our dog wants at any given moment. So, you know, when we talk about what is a marker <laughs> or what is a release, because a release, from our perspective, it's a release. From the dog's perspective, it could be a marker. It's oh, yeah. I'm supposed to do, and now I get to do what I want. And to me, I would still do it as a release out. marker, though. So, like, if my dog, so I could go down. And they're 50 feet away. Good. And they stay there. Good. And they stay there. Yes. And they run over to me and get a reward. Or I get it and they go get the reward over there. I'm just telling them, I love what you did. Your paycheck's right there. I love what you did. Your paycheck's right here. I love what you did. Your pay You know, like, like it, it's over here. But it's if I go down, free. It's still a marker because I'm going, I like what you did. Yep. Do whatever the fuck you want. Right? Yep. Like, like, you get, you're free to go. It is a marker if the dog finds that rewarding, that's great, but they found the reward rewarding too. I'd still say that's a marker, not a command, because the like you can't really command your dog to be free. Right? Like and, you, yeah, that, that's incongruent because that's the right. freedom isn't right. commanded. Yeah. You can't be like, I want you to relax right now. 
Well, that's not really the way it works. Like, like <laughs> people have a reason to get mad at you when you tell them to calm down. Tell or them relax. That, that it, just, it doesn't work on command. Like, you can't command me to do that. You know, you can't command your dog to just be free now. You can release them. Right? So it's like, I, I, like when you're a kid and your mom goes, go to your room. Well, two things. So like regarding those markers, one, she didn't have to tell you to stay there, right? You didn't just pop in your room and go, I did it. And then go fuck off and do whatever you want. Like it was, it's an implied stay. Just like you teach our dogs. It's an implied, right? There's an implied, you know, stay when you say down. What part of down includes like walk around and do whatever you, that's not what I said. Like when dad goes, go to your room. You don't walk in, walk right back out, make a sandwich, sit on the couch. He'd be like, what the fuck did you just smoke in there? Go to your room and stay there, right? Like, they don't have to say that. You know that, right? So, one, there's an implied stay. But, two, eventually they're going to come around and go, you can come out. And there's your release marker, right? So, your mom eventually walks by and goes, break. And, you know, like, you don't have – it's not a command, though. They didn't walk by and go – Get out of your room. They walked by and said, you don't have to stay there. You're free to go. So if you're like, yeah, I'm enjoying my book or whatever, or like, oh, thank God, it, you're still released. So like, I look at a release marker, like it's not a command. You're just, you don't have to do that anymore. It's fine. Yeah. I'm glad it, it, the fact that you just brought up the go to your room thing is, is, is amazing because here's why. My father explained to me after the fact years after the fact that if i get sent to my room for say 10 minutes right he wouldn't start the 10 minutes until i asked to come out and so you should ask immediately well i didn't know well he didn't explain it to me until much later because i didn't figure it out you so, would have just shut Door, that that's is. some diabolical shit. Like that's like the like, mind processing thing. Is a little. <laughs> and and he explained it to me afterwards. He goes because when I first send you to your room, you're not upset about going to your room. You're consumed with other thoughts. Uh, maybe you're content in your room. Blah 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 blah. So the punishment, the the aversive consequence, doesn't begin until you want to come out. And now I tell you, you can't. Now you're actually experiencing punishment. So the reason why that's you bringing that up is awesome and it makes me think of that is like we do duration downs with a dog especially when we do a lot of work with markers where the dogs are really loaded and we're building duration using positive reinforcement meaning the dog learns that's how i'll build duration in the beginning i just delay reinforcement delay it delay it delay it so the dog is like waiting to explode into the release, right? The dog isn't really learning control and obedience until the first time he gets up prematurely. And then I let him know either if it's a puppy, I'm usually a little more patient. I just don't reward and he gets frustrated and he starts over. But when I start getting towards fluency and I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, like you, you broke that down. Now there's an, no. That's when he really understands duration. That's when the dog really understands that it, it's yielding to your command, it's yielding to your control. But that doesn't happen until he finally asks to get up. That doesn't happen until he finally is like, well, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Because we can use 
positive reinforcement via a marker, build duration that way, great. But it's it's still the dog is working for what we have. And I, I've noticed, especially with pet with pet clients, they're not gonna go on a tournament field. They don't need a loaded dog exploding through things for points. They do need a little bit of where the dog is finally acquiescing to their down and the dog is ready to do a 20 minute down or a 20 or a place if you're using a place mat or something and the dog doesn't really learn those final steps and final pieces until he wants to get up he doesn't learn that until he says well fuck your food and fuck your toy i'm gonna go over here and you're like no you're not <laughs> you know and that's like me asking can i come out now and my dad's saying no and now he sets the 10 minute timer just when you said that, Dave, it, it kind of like connected a bunch of dots for me. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Oh, definitely. And I learned that, in a, you know, with the dogs, it was from dabbling with pets, then getting into working dogs, and then going back to pets. I had a little bit of a problem because the way That's I problem. Huh? That's a huge problem. Yeah, because I had dogs on placemats and in downs that were loaded. Yep. Because the, I, and if I'm looking at sport, I want an active dog. I want an active dog. When he hits the down, I want him like this in the down because he's waiting for the next command. He's waiting to execute it with precision and enthusiasm for the judges. You know, and building duration using anticipation works wonders with them that's not what the pet dog owner wants or needs they don't need all the placement like when are you going to release me yeah because it defeats the purpose of why they used it Com completely so balancing how i build duration between the dog learning to wait for delayed gratification learning to wait for the release, but at the same time, creating opportunities for that dog to also be punished for breaking the command and a little bit of suppression, absolutely, absolutely some suppression going in there. So the dog is like, you know what? I'm content with here because I know you're controlling my, my life and like, I'm just gonna chill here because I'm cool with it because for 15,000 years, I was bred to be cool with it. Um, there, there, there is a difference between the active sport dog and the content with being chill pet dog, and that's a tricky balance to navigate. Yeah. So very. Let's go ahead and talk about and the last question. Would be, what would be, as far as protection training, you know, because you guys have both done it beforehand. How has that helped you guys in dog training in general? How does what help? Uh, protection training. Oh, geez, that's a good fucking question. Dan, go ahead. I'm thinking. I, I, I've actually said this before. I, I feel like the, the amount of knowledge I've gained from protection work is easily the hardest to articulate. It's the most... I guess pun intended, uh, primal training you're really doing with the dog, right? Like you're training them to use their most 
basic instincts to a an extremely high degree. Like, you don't need to teach a dog how to fucking bite, but we've learned how to really well, right? Like, we've learned how to do. We've learned how to teach them better than they teach themselves. But the the amount of information that I've learned from 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 doing bite work is so ridiculous. Like, I don't know how I would be able to put that into words. I don't know how it, like, like I apply so much shit that I've learned to, to what I do all the time. Like uh, yesterday I was doing a lesson on here and I was like, hold on one second. So I, I like, I ran out of the room and I came back with a clatter stick and she's like, what, like, what the fuck is that? Like, what is this like broken piece of bamboo? But I was using it as an example of like how you can use distractions to start like adding like environmental pressure on your own on purpose to build up your dog's, you know, focus and engagement and confidence and like how to desensitize them to the world around them. I was just using a clatter stick because if it was an in-home lesson, that's the first fucking tool I would grab. Like, all right, I'm going to clatter this. You try to like, 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 like I'm going to make noise with this. You keep their attention. But I've, it's not about the tool. It's not because that tool is used in bite work. I learned how to desensitize dogs to their environment better from doing bite work, which you would think has nothing to do with it, but it has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with everything. You're like, you got to understand that love that animal on a dramatically deeper level. And if you don't, well, that's why your protection dog also fucks up anyone else who, who's welcome to come in the house. That's why they're, you know, they're, they're like a terrorist when they're not, you know, clocked in. Like you, yeah. you can't even enjoy them when they're not biting a decoy, you know, because because you didn't understand the animal when you were teaching them. You know, like, but to me, the, the the amount of information is like beyond words. Like I don't know how I could ever define that. It's too much. It's uh, tons. We have to be on here for like seven, eight hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could do like like you could do a a whole workshop where you're just sitting there talking about like. Well, this is shit you do in bite work, but this can apply to your pet. Like, I learned this in bite work, but your golden doodle could really benefit from this philosophy. You know, it doesn't mean you're going to, like, put a agitation collar on or breaking out the sleeves. But, but there's so much stuff that you learn doing this because you're, 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 you have to understand the animal on a more natural, instinctual level to do this successfully. You know, you have to learn that animal more or learn no. about that animal more. KD. When I go back to my early years when I was doing, I mean, there was a period of time back in like 2004, 2003, 2004, where most of what I was doing was personal protection, right? It was biting in street application, right? I was doing more of that than obedience. And this is before I knew the quadrants. This was before I met my mentor. This is before I had any idea of behavioral science. What I learned from those experiences working really weak dogs, I learned a lot about association mm -hmm. and pictures. The pictures the dog sees, preparing the dog for pictures it would see in real life and making sure what I was doing in training wasn't so ridiculously obsolete that it would have no carryover to the real world. I learned about 
the association between something as simple as teaching a, a, an alert command, right? Your your old school watch them, watch them. Yeah, who's that? Who's that? Right. And to anybody watching this, you know who I might have learned under using the words "who's that" um, with a Long Island accent. Um, you know, I learned from some old school motherfuckers and teaching the dog that when I said, who's that? That whatever person was in close proximity was probably about to do something aversive. And the dog associating that verbal cue with an anticipated behavior of the potential bad guy and the dog being intelligent enough to learn based on my teaching that if the dog then exhibited a specific behavior, he could prevent that aversive behavior from ever happening at all. Boop, 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 boop. I mean, talk about back chaining, right? Like talk about chaining together different things. Like I learned all of that without knowing any of the nomenclature, without knowing any of the science behind it, just through trial and error, seeing what worked, making mistakes that ruined dogs and then carrying that over into, wait a minute, that's the same thing in obedience. When I tell a dog to sit, he's learning an anticipated bit. Holy shit, behavior is really all behavior. It doesn't matter the context if we understand the principles. And, you know, I always take any opportunity I can to quote uh, Pat Nolan, a wonderful trainer and contributor to the dog training community. And he said, it, it, you know, if we don't understand the principles, we'll be a slave to the method forever. And damn, Pat, like that, that's deep. Yeah. Like, if you wonder, like, I'm, we're talking, and this question was in the context of like night work and protection work, but there were lessons there that carry over to anything you do with a dog because the principles of behavior are universal. And if we understand those, we as trainers can have. In, very amicable conversations about methods. We can, oh, how do you do it? Oh, you use two clicks, you use 20, you use one, right? It's, it's, it's okay though, because we understand the principles and the end result is the dogs are learning the behaviors we're teaching them. So we're not arguing. Okay, the old adage, put three dog trainers in a room and all they can, two can agree, the third, bullshit, that's bullshit. Because when all three trainers understand the principles of behavior, there's no fucking arguments. They share and they exchange how they individually apply those principles to their methods that work for them. And they have great conversation, they have great dialogue, and they go, they leave those dialogues reflecting on that because they're on the same behavioral page. Oh, yeah. And that's why Drinks the Dogs is here. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Um, it should be a discussion, right? It's always it's always discussion, and like that's like the thing. Like you know, that's the most important thing for me. Is it, you know, that's why we started this whole entire program was to bring this discussion out um, and make sure we all know the same thing. But uh, it is actually we're running off on time here, so. Damn, two uh, hours fast. Two hours, guys. Uh, so Crazy. I appreciate you guys for being on here. Um, absolutely. We'll have our off, you know, <laughs> offline discussion. Um, but you know, I appreciate you guys for being on here. Make sure you guys follow 
obviously Katie Matthews, uh, David from Canine Karma, um, everybody out there. You know, this is uh, a thing that we're going to continue to do in every week just to, like Katie said, expose, you know, just to different perspectives in dog training um, and just go from there. But, I mean, you know, we can, we can always have a conversation. So thanks for tuning in to the, I think it's eighth. This is the eighth episode of uh I think it's, it's seven at the top. Seven or eight, yeah. Is it seven? Seven, seven episode okay. of and Dogs, and we have four hundred thirty-eight people, so that's awesome. Thank you, so, Mike and Dave. It was awesome getting to meet you, man. I yeah, you too, man. This is awesome. Hell yeah, guys! I appreciate you guys, and then we'll be talking offline here pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. I'll see you in a second. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Yep. Hell Thank yeah. You.